Welcome back to another episode of the Blues on Parade podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. Today on the dock is the Fulham match, another London derby. And with me today is my fellow married one, Zach Curry. Yo, yo. Um, kind of bummed me out that the game was on a Friday, because if the result was going to be what it was, maybe I could have enjoyed my Friday night a little bit. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, I'm, I'm doing okay. I have a little cold, so apologize to the listeners if I sound a little funky. Um, limited, limited Zach rants today. Yeah, the throat's hurting too much to go on a uh, on a tangent. So you'll get the short and sweet version of me. Uh, it's a bummer to some of our listeners. Maybe maybe a plus to others. But Sam, how are you today? Well, first off, I'm offended. Zach is saying, "Oh, I could have enjoyed my Friday night." If my <laughs> recollection is correct, me and you hung out on Friday night. Was that? Well, am I not good enough for you, Zach? No, you are. But uh. Why don't you tell? We just watched a movie. <laughs> we didn't even do anything like. I'd love to watch a movie crazy. with my bros. We but... watched the uh, You People. Zach was like, Zach didn't think it was that good. I rated it like nine out of ten. Bro, I loved that. So movie. good. Such an so I loved it. I loved it. A great uh, movie. It was perfect. <laughs> but, um, talking about the Fulham match, uh, I, one of our listeners, one of our uh what are we bop ultras <laughs> bop ultras uh i think he he wrote in and summarized exactly what i was thinking how much more do we have to spend to get a goal i mean we spent over half a billion dollars uh on all these incoming players we don't have a freaking striker to put away chances we, we're stuck with the German uh, nobody in Kai Havard. So, yeah, that's 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 my overall feeling about the match. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't a pretty one. Um, Black Emoji wasn't the only one that kind of sent us his thoughts. Uh, we had John Nomic saying, you know, usual negatives. Can't hit a cow's arse at 10 paces in front of goal. So, Sam, he agrees with you about Kai Havertz there. And then we have the ultimate optimist in Ronnie Ashworth saying, "All will be forgiven if we win the Champions League." So, you know, I, I thought I thought that until Friday as well, and <laughs> I realized, shit, we're not we're not there yet. Oh, we are very much far from that. But who knows? A, a good run of luck can get you a Champions League trophy sometimes. Um, but we'll we'll get to that. We're we're a few weeks out before we play Dortmund, so. We'll, we'll discuss the full ma- match today and, and kind of stick to the Premier League for now. But guys, it's the same old song and dance. Nil-nil against Fulham. Old regime players are underperforming. The new signings are showing sparks and, and glimpses of potential. But the result? Uninspiring. 0-0. Zero, zero. It just looks like disconnect of good patches of the game and then the complete opposite. So I just want to ask, 
what is still wrong at Chelsea FC? And is it the players? Is it the manager? Zach, take your choice, and I'll let you kind of start this uh, kind of unwinding all this. I mean, I feel like I'd be kind of short-sighting the argument if I just picked one over the other. But if I had to lean to one, I guess, over the other, for me, it's the players. I mean, I had the Twitter, uh, or the tweet, rather, post-match, um, criticizing how how overall it's basically the same players that are letting us down. And um, it's it kind of sucks because, you know, you have these new signings that stepped in and they looked the part. You know, Madueke looked really good. Enzo looked good. Padilla Shields kept three clean sheets on the spin. Um, you know, even youngsters like Lewis Hall is able to come in and look half decent. But then you got guys like Mason Mount and Kai Havertz. Kukureo, who has the Premier League experience, um, you know, some of the players that we should be a little bit more reliant on in terms of getting consistency, they seem to be letting us down time and time again. Um, to me, really, there's no excuse why they should be fucking up this royally every week. It's getting, uh, it's getting old, and I think that's where the main part of the frustration comes from. Um, just from these recent run of results and this recent run of form. Um, it, it's not a matter of us not being able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I think the frustration here is that we're seeing the same players make the same mistakes and also continue to be given the same amount of um, of playing time and opportunity over maybe some other players who could step in and do a job in place of them. Um, so I think there needs to be more accountability on their part. I think they frankly just need to give a fuck a little bit more. Um you know, to me, at this point in time, just trying isn't enough. We actually need to get results together. Um, so, you know, going and running around for 90 minutes and clapping at the, and you know clapping for the fans at the end of the match is fine and all. But at what point are we going to take some accountability and say, hey, as players, we're not doing well enough. We need to start putting up the numbers and start scoring the goals and getting the results. Otherwise, all of this support, all of this you know, running around for 90 minutes and clapping, it means it means nothing at the end of the day. So I'm, I'm really frustrated. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm downbeat because I think the new signings can definitely carry us through the rest of the season based on what I've seen. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of – I'm just kind of disappointed in a lot of the same faces that we've been disappointed at. Yeah, and, and I want to sort of – softball this one to Sam because I think he's been more of the the critical eye in the podcast in terms of the manager because Zach I get I get your frustration but at the end of the day there's a certain man named Graham Potter that's choosing the 11 and choosing the subs and so at what point do you start blaming the manager for making that decision over and over again and Sam I think this is the perfect chance to let you take over yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't remember whether uh, I discussed this uh, on last on, on the podcast or if it was on Friday with me and Zach just hanging out and talking, um, but um, I'm just not convinced yet. Grand Potter, I go, I go back and forth, like I constant, constantly have battles within my head. Like you think about it. Like, a t you think about a team like Man City, okay, so talented. Obviously, they have a great manager in Pep. 
and we're not even going to get into the you know financial whatever um and you think that almost any manager can come in and finish top two in the Premier League with the amount of talent that they have, right? So, you, you, you know, you, you think, like, what's more important, the players or the manager? And then you look at, like, Graham Potter. You look at Newcastle. Like, right now, what, what, what's being done in Newcastle, if you compare the rosters between us and Newcastle, we have way more talent. Right, I mean, it's it's not even it's not even comparable. I don't think. But what uh, what's his name? The manager at Newcastle. It's it's uh, Eddie Howe. Eddie Howe. What he's been doing with Newcastle this year, what Graham Potter has done with Brighton in the past. You think okay, the manager is more important. You can have like you know these players that are not necessarily all world class, but if you have the right manager. It'll work. So why is it that when Gra- when Graham Potter comes in to a Chelsea side with more talent, you can't you don't see the same type of football that Brighton was playing. I mean, I understand that he he was there longer. The players had you know been more comfortable under his system. I just I don't see. When I watch a Chelsea match, I don't really see anything that is like, oh, this is a key characteristic of Graham Potter's style of football. Yeah. It's this, you know? Like, nothing stands out. And it it has to, like, I'm not going to put all the blame on Graham Potter because Zach made a very good argument for the players being at fault. And I think the reasonable answer is... They both are at fault, whether yeah. you want to give one of them more or less. But week in, week out, we're going to talk about the players that um, are underperforming, the usual suspects, as Zach put it, and Graham Potter's decision to continue to play them every, yeah. every week. The, and the one thing that... Um, that I saw, I forgot who mentioned it. One of you guys mentioned it at halftime. I was complaining about, or not complaining, I was just saying, Mudrik was invisible in the first half. And why is it that Hakeem Ziyech received the ball so many times and Mudrik rarely touched the ball? And one of you guys were saying, like, look at the space that Mason Mount is occupying. He's, he's, he's pretty much playing... More forward than Mudrik on his side, he's taking up that space. So he, it's not, you know, he can't receive the ball as easily. And, you know, I'm thinking like, okay, if you guys are seeing this at home and you're not the only people who've said it, I saw it on Twitter too. Graham Potter surely sees that, right? At halftime, I mean, at least at halftime, you make the adjustment. Like it, during the match, you should be. You should be calling it out, but at least at halftime, you should be telling him, instructing him, making that adjustment. But in the second half, it was the same thing, but with uh, uh, Madueke in it instead of instead of Mudrik, because he was he had a, a, the sniffles, I guess. Um, but that's this. It's just all of these things, plus the lack of results. Obviously, on top of that. It makes it 
really concerning that we decided to go all in, give him a six-year deal, and it's not necessarily working out so far. Yeah, and and I want to kind of touch on, on to what both of you guys are saying. So, Sam, in regards to what you're saying about Mount and the adjustment, the one thing that kept coming to my mind is like the metaphor of like you have a hot oven and you are a parent and you tell the child, don't touch the oven, don't touch the oven. And then the kid goes and touches the hot oven. If, if you're telling someone what to do and they don't do it, who, whose fault is that? Is it the guy poorly relaying the message or is it the guy not wanting to receive the message, right? So it's like we said, there, there's got to be a share of the blame there. But I, it's just so hard for me to believe that a healthy Chelsea looked so good the first few weeks and then we came to shit when everybody got hurt. I think injuries are still a big factor. And part of me wants to keep believing that the reason we see the same players that Zach is mentioning is due to not having other choices previously because now that excuse is gone going into West Ham that that excuse is no longer relevant um the one thing I just wanted to bring up because it is hard to watch a 90 minute match where it ends nil nil and and the chances that we get our players just completely waste but in the last four Premier League matches here's what Chelsea has been doing that is is things we don't watch because we are emotionally invested into these is games. It's our XG is six point seven in the last mm-hmm. four matches, and our opponent's XG is three point eight. Yes, we have we scored. We scored Those... two goals. We've okay. also also conceded two goals. We've had fifteen big chances in four games. Our opponents have only had two. We've taken fifty seven shots in the past four games. Our opponents forty three. And we've had 98 touches in the opponent's box. Our opponents have only had 77 in, in compared to us. So you add on top of that the three clean sheets. I mean, there. I I understand the frustration you say, Sam. Like the, the identity's not there. I I agree. I don't know. You know, Pep. The identity is possession. You get to the final third, you're probably going to cut back cross. Uh, Klopp, it's the counter pressing and then the quick through ball to the front three. I understand all that. We haven't seen that yet. How much of that is that we don't have the right players? You talk about Newcastle, they have lower quality players, but do their lower quality players make a better working group than our higher quality dysfunctional group? It, it, there, there's so much to it, but I think it is fair to, to judge both sides of it. I don't know how long Bowley and, and Nagbali and company have given the the coaching, but I just thought it was worth discussing. I wanted to let both of you guys air it out. I'm sure our listeners and other fans are having this exact same debate. I, I just don't know the answer add, yet. Just to add on to it, if your ownership and your you know the management of Chelsea to try to remedy this problem. Right now, it's not to sack the manager. 
it's to get rid of some of the players, get in new players. So if you're going to talk about which one is more at fault, that's it, it could be both. But as far as like addressing those concerns, you have to give, I mean, at least to the end, like, okay, so definitely to the end of the year. Okay. And then in a realistic, in, in an ideal world, you give, you give them until the end of next season. Right. I mean, there are, there's a, like, there's like a situation where we like are like in 15th, 16th place after like six matches, eight matches, whatever. And you see a lot of times that's when, you know, early in the season, that's when a manager is sacked. You saw that with Thomas Tuchel. Um, you saw that with Oleg Gunnar Solskjaer. And that's just how it is. So, like, I, I could see a situation where that happens, but reasonably it's going to be until the end of this year plus an, all of next season. Yeah, I, I think an offseason will, will give this group a, a far far bigger understanding of what to do rather than having to go every week with a new injury, new set of healthy players, et cetera. And, and you definitely, like you said, you don't want to be like Leeds United, back a manager through a whole window and then fire him after one match with his new players. So preaching a little patience right now, this, this season, as we've said over and over again, is a wash. I personally think next week is the start, the, the official start of what we're trying to see with more of the, the players coming back to health and we're about to get into the bad hopefully potter just growing a pair so i, I kind of want to get into the detail of the two guys who seem to be undroppable for some odd reason right now and that's kai havertz and mason mount because you mentioned it um we can't score and when your center attacking mid and your quote-unquote number nine aren't doing shit and haven't been doing anything for a while now i'm not sure how much more you can do and i know mason mount had a one through ball to kai havertz where he had to like slide to try to get to it but apart from that neither of these players are cut i i saw him i, I want you to start telling me what did you see or didn't see from mason mount today because to me the way I see it is that other players paid for his sins today, specifically Mikhailo Mudrik and at parts Kukureya. So, so I'm, I'm going to let you kind of go off because when your central figure on the pitch is, is that bad, we can't just let it slide. When you, when you're saying central figure, literally like in the middle of the middle of the middle of the pitch i i don't be, think because he's central both. To our success <laughs> no i mean it, it is both because mason mount has been our player of the year the last two two seasons three seasons i think it's two seasons um he has been you know our our shine you know our shining wonder boy cobham's finest um and i've said this when he started off in you know rough form in the season uh, this season that i thought it was ridiculous to criticize mason mount because he had built up so much goodwill throughout his you know the, the previous two years that it was unfathomable to drop him from the side but it has officially gotten to the point where you can see it it's clear he completely lacks confidence it, it, he, it, 
His head is not in the right headspace. They're drawing comparisons to Deli Ali. I mean, that that's as low as it gets. I and I th- I I don't think the comparisons are fair because me and Zach talked about this. Deli Ali was, you know, kind of trouble in the locker room, wasn't the best, you know, uh trainer as well. And Mason Mount as you know, as far as we know, at least, and I think that's it's true, doesn't have any of those issues. He's a great teammate, trains well, all of that. Um, man, the managers love him. That's why he doesn't. That's why he plays every month. He's rarely dropped. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I don't think that those comparisons are right, but you can draw a parallel, possibly, of a young, promising English talent who had you know, streaks of greatness, two great seasons, and then never really put it together. And to top it all off, this contract runs out at the end of the season. We're talking about extensions. The the figure he's asking for, which at this point we don't know what it is anymore, I, it can't be 300000 Um, No chance. But... <clears throat> Whatever he's asking for, the club is doesn't feel like he's worth it. And at this point, I can't I can't disagree. He's he's definitely been a victim of being a yes man throughout the past uh two managers, I think. You know, playing as a central midfielder, number ten, number eight, also a right winger under Frank and, and Tuchel, and then coming into this season and not really having a best position. Um, when things get tumultuous and the season gets tough, um, it makes your life a lot harder as a footballer because now you don't have that fallback that you can go to and just say, okay, if I can do these things, these simple things, I can get myself back into some decent kind of form or, you know, this is some things that I know work for me when I play this particular position. And I feel like for Mount, there is no particular position that works for him. Um, And I think a lot of that goes on the previous managers, but a big chunk of it also goes on the current one. What's the vision with Mason Mount in this Chelsea team? Because that's really what I'm struggling to see. If we're looking at a Mason Mount as being a potential number 10 for this team, I'll, I'll tell you right now, Joao Felix is going to come in and make you forget about him really quick. Um, if you're going to talk about Mason Mount playing as a number eight, okay, that's great. But we're not really running a traditional 4-3-3 where – you know, Mount will be able to express himself and also have the protection should he push up and join the attack. We saw it in this game. Um, I mean, how many screenshots were there of Enzo with the ball at his feet and Mount and Gallagher maybe 25, 30 yards ahead of him? And it's just this huge gap in the midfield with no outlet pass to go to. Um, but look, I, 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 we can go on and talk about it all day, but the thing is, what are – what are the solutions for him? And I think for Potter, he has to look at the situation now, and especially with Mount, more more so than Kai, I would even argue. Because we, at, like Andres said, we at least saw Kai play decent when he had Joao Felix on the pitch, right? When yeah. there's somebody next to him that he can link up with, Kai does tend to raise his game slightly, not astronomically, but slightly. We haven't seen Mason raise his game at all this season. And I think in order to protect the actual player, you do have to pull him aside and say, hey, look, this is my vision for you. This is what I want you to be. This is how I want to integrate you into the team. But for now, just sit aside, get your mind right, get your head right, 
you know, niggling injuries, anxiety, whatever it is, figure it out. And then we're going to integrate you back into the team slowly. And I think a lot of it is on Potter to protect the players in that sense. But this is also a consequence of what you get when you have a team that's going through a transition like this. I mean, we bought what seven or eight players all aged in and around 21 years old um, Mm -hmm. in January. That makes Mount what three years they're elder. I mean, Mount's 24 going on 25 now. So if, you know, for Potter looking at a situation like this, he's looking at Mount as one of the experienced guys that he can lean on. So maybe that's his reasoning for continuing to play him week in and week out. I know injuries are a problem. I'm just taking a quick look at the bench here. I think the only real alternative to playing Mount at the 10 in this game was maybe playing Chuck Wameka. But then again, you're throwing another guy with a certain amount of inexperience at the highest level. So it's a double-edged sword, but in my opinion, the guy just needs to take a break. He needs to get his head screwed on tight because, like Sam said, he's approaching that age now where if he doesn't figure out his footballing identity, he's going to be in some deep shit because there's a lot of young English talent that are up and coming. There's a lot of talent that Chelsea Football Club just, just signed that are up and coming. And if all the rumors are true about Joao Felix being a possibility in the summer in terms of the deal being uh, turned permanent, that means Mount is directly at risk of losing his spot in the team. So these are pivotal months for him coming up. Um, and, you know, unfortunately at this point, I just, I just need to see him take a break. I don't, I don't see him playing his way out of this vein of form because we haven't yeah. really seen him do that before. I think it's it's a hundred percent all psychological. I think it starts with going into the season with new ownership because, like Sam mentioned, back to back player of the year. He came off with the highest goal and assist tally out of any midfielder, I believe, in the Premier League, just behind Kevin De Bruyne or Bruno. I can't remember which of the two, but he was second. Um, and then on top of all that, because of those things. He goes into a negotiating year where the first thing that's been said is that him and Reese James will be the first contracts, mega contracts signed to secure it. And then he starts playing like shit. And then there's a new coach. And I think at this point, I think it's all in his head and he's just trying so hard to be the guy that gets the assist, to be the guy that gets the goal. And he's forgetting the basics because he is an eight. He is a self-proclaimed eight. He said it time and time again this season. Yet, like you said, Zach, he's playing as an outside 10 as if we're still running a 3-4-3 when in this match we were playing a strict 4-3-3. I think his head's just completely off his shoulders right now, and I think that it's time for him to just get a break. Unlike Kai Havertz, I think Mount can find his way back into this place. I think he Mm -hmm. is the kind of guy who has the ability to find a spot in this midfield. It's just not through playing out of the form. But... We've talked about this plenty. I'm just hoping, as as just a, any other Chelsea fan, we want to see the best amount again. And, and obviously, we want him to sign a deal, but it's getting murkier and murkier with when you see what he's done for you versus what he's done for you lately and all that. So it, it's just tough. I, I don't think anybody in this team has more pressure than Mason Mount at this moment, but... A close second is for sure Kai Havertz because we were 0 for 3 in big chances today uh, and two of the three were directly related to Kai Havertz shooting on goal and completely not score, like completely wasting chances. So 
Zach, I, I'm going to let you handle this one because I'm usually the Kai apologist of this podcast. So I would be the guy to, to just go on and say he's a 10. And I just want you to, to kind of give me it straight. There's, there's no more apologizing for shit performances anymore when it comes to Kai. I mean, he's been here since 2020. I feel like he's had more than enough time to find a way to integrate himself into the team. And I, I'm, I'm really getting fed up with the whole he's not a striker argument. It, it, it's getting old. Because the fact of the matter is he's the only player that could supposedly play striker. And he's doing it at such a terribly low level, um, an underwhelming level. It's, it, and it's gotten to the point now where, I mean, his Chelsea career definitely is at risk. And I think a majority of Chelsea fans out there now, if you ask them outside of the Champions League to name your favorite Kai Havertz memory, would be hard-pressed to find one. I mean, maybe him shithousing Sergio Ramos in the Champions League the year we won. But again, what was that? Two and a half, three years ago. Um, and, and in terms of the striker argument, you know, he plays a similar position for Germany. Now, I know he drops in and finds the ball and kind of picks and chooses where he wants to operate in his the level of his game seems to rise when he plays for the national team, but it's not very different from what we're asking him to do here at Chelsea. We're asking him to be a fluid number nine that can, you know, go out wide, but also make those final runs into the box and, and, and arrive on the end of crosses and through balls and things like that and be somewhat of a decent finisher. And he just hasn't been. I, I think the frustrating thing for me with Kai is that we all know he has talent. We all know that there's ability in there somewhere. You know, physically, he's not at a particular disadvantage. You know, he's tall. He likes to get on the end of crosses. When he gets to sprinting, he's not very slow. He's actually pretty quick. Um, Technically, he has everything that you want to ask for. Um, And and I I feel like the only real thing that you can criticize him for is is the mentality aspect, the willingness to be a fucking killer and to just go out there and take heads off week in and week out to score goals, to grab games by the scruff of the neck and say, no, I'm that guy. They spent $70 million on me because I'm that guy. Not to just be a you know bystander and watch new signings come in and look 10, 12 times the player you've ever looked um, in the shirt. And I know it sounds damning and whatnot, but look, the, 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 there's, there's two differences between a guy like Kai and a guy like Mason Mount. And you know I criticized Mason Mount before, and rightly so, but Mount's done it before, like we've alluded to. Like he's shown us that he can put up decent numbers across a whole entire season, or at least keep uh, maintain a, a, a high level of form across a whole season. Kai hasn't done that yet. I don't even think he's put together a run of three or four matches where he scored and assisted on the spin and helped us, you know, and and, and won us three, six, or nine points on a you know in, in a month because of his goals or his contributions. He hasn't done any of that, so. If you want to talk about people whose positions are definitely going to be up for grabs, I mean, Kai is probably right behind Mason Mount, if you want to talk about it. Um, you know, this summer, getting a striker is going to be key if Broja doesn't doesn't come back by the beginning of next season. And then that means Kai's going to be the odd man out. We got a quick glimpse of Fofana and what he can offer, and he looks like an actual number nine. Granted, he's still somewhat raw and inexperienced in finding his footing. But the position Fofana took up, the physicality he has, the chance he created for himself was a better chance than Kai's created for himself in the last two or three matches. All signs are pointing to him and his days being numbered at Chelsea Football Club. And I can care less, to be completely honest, if he goes. I'm, I, I'm honestly done for him. Thank you for the Champions League goal. That's fine and great. 
beautiful, but I'm sick and fucking tired of watching these nil-nil draws because we have a striker that can't score a fucking tap-in. Um, Zach, let me ask you a question. So in, in, in the full match, when Fofana came in, he did move to that role. Um, I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, Fofana came in for Mount, and yeah. then so Havertz <clears throat> took Mason Mount's spot in the, mm-hmm. in the middle of that midfield. Did you think that he played well in that position? I wouldn't say well, but I think I think he looked a little bit more comfortable. Because I, I don't think I don't think Kai feels comfortable leading a line. I like I just want to throw that out there. I don't think there's any scenario or situation where Kai Havertz will be comfortable leading an attack. The only reason why I'm asking is because with with Mason Mount, you give you you kind of give him the benefit of the doubt for not playing in his natural position. But with Kai Havertz, it's the opposite. You're saying he's not a striker. Fuck him. He's out of there. But we've rarely seen him play at the 10 with another striker in front of him. Because before we had Lukaku and he was shit. Um, And then since then, we haven't really had another striker. Like He's been playing there out of necessity. Um, So... I don't want to say he's I'm through with him. I'm through with him as a striker, 100%. I don't want to see it anymore. I know we we, we have no choice but to see it again. I, I was really happy with what I saw with, with Fofana. Um, fucking, what's his name? Um, Tim Ream. Such an asshole for, for <laughs> saving that, that goal. I mean that would have been, been an, that would have been an amazing first goal for him, um, dribbling past the keeper, past the player, um, but I I don't know I, I I just don't think it's fair to, and I, I get okay. what you said before about you know Mason Mount has done it before, Kai Havertz hasn't, but we've literally like never seen Kai Havertz play in his natural position. Well, well, let me ask you this then. Is is the wish to have Kai Havertz maybe spend some time at the ten to see what he can offer us playing behind a striker? Is that what you want to see? I mean, okay. Now that I'm thinking about it, we have um, what's his name coming in, but even next year we have Kunku coming in. Kunku, and 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 that's what I was going to follow it up with was okay. if you want to give Kai a chance anywhere else. And Kunku's going to need a chance to play there. Joao Felix is going to want to play there. The wings are wrapped up because Mudrik and Madueke look like complete upgrades on what we already have in Pulisic and Sterling. And don't forget, Pulisic and Sterling are also still there too. So I just don't see any other scenario where Kai plays for Chelsea unless he's playing at the nine out of necessity. Kind of like what he's doing now, but I, I, I could even argue now it's not even a necessity to have him play there. I mean... If you play Fofana there and he does nothing for 90 minutes, is it any worse than what Kai's been giving us? You know, and this is a guy that yeah. we can actually maybe get something out of and give a fair shot to who hasn't had a fair shot. Yeah, he's yeah. got the nine DNA, Fofana, for sure. Like, he did things that we saw Broja do where it was to kind of create for himself with yeah. you know, the sliver of hope. You press, push the def- – be an annoyance to that back line. And force the mistake to come. And again, the, just 
the nature of how the runs are made are different when you put a nine. They're not as polished. Like Fofana is probably going to miss a lot of chances still because he hasn't, you know, done it at this level. But it's for sure tough. Like we're we have to continue to watch Kai at the nine. Unfortunately for us, because Fofana was not registered for the Champions League. It's Kai and Felix. That's who we're running with at the nine because Alba got removed from the Champions League. So. I think the one thing that could be a saving grace here, and and I've I kind of beat this drum before, but I just don't think Mount and Kai coexist as a ten striker duo. Their their way of thinking just does not work. There was a, a three on two in this match where Mount never even looked up at Kai. There was another one where Kai is facing his own goal and tries to do a back heel for Mount. Mount doesn't see it, but then. 60 minutes of him and Felix and it felt like every time they tried to do something with a bit of flair with a bit of originality it clicked so the ultimate optimist in me says maybe that's where a little shine comes but I still don't think the nine is a solution for him I think Kai is going to be a great player for somebody else that dedicates the 10 to him and him alone and that's where I'm at if we can get the 70 million because like Sam mentioned we're getting in Kunku in the summer Jao Felix is is begging us to sign him permanently, according to to everyone out there. And no matter what, Kai seems to not be preferred. And like, if he was that great of a ten, we would make somebody else play the nine. Yeah, we are. Then you, we're we're forcing him to be the nine to allow somebody else to be in that position. Mm -hmm. I I hate moving, and, and I'm gonna come back to this exact same term. I hate moving the player who succeeds at, at position A to to say like, oh, you will, you'll play position B because that'll help somebody else. Like I, I, that sort of thinking doesn't click for me. And I think, unfortunately, Kai is never going to get the outright uh, 10 for himself here. It's just Zach, too cluttered. Zach, say, say what you told me on Friday about what you saw from Fofana, what he did versus like what, like you've never seen Kai Havertz do that, you know what, what I'm talking mean? about? Like you told me that. I I don't want to like take your point, but you told me that Fofana in his like fifth like, or his twenty minutes that he played. Oh no no no! I was I was referring to Madueke, but but yeah. Oh, I mean, oh, oh right right right! You're right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I mean I could I can throw that argument in here just to just to Go kind ahead, of yeah. beef up the Kai Havertz argument, but. I remember there was one play in particular where Madueke had his back to goal. He was pinned up against the defender and just kind of held him off and played this little flick with the outside of his left foot as he was receiving the ball. And then I think it was, I don't know who it was. I think it might have been Enzo that Enzo. came on to it, Enzo yeah. gets it and backs heels it or like kind of gives him a little tippy tap so that now Noni Madueke is looking at the goal. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And in that little, just that little tiny run of play right after Madueke comes in, I saw more of a striker's instinct from the fucking winger that we bought from the Netherlands <laughs> than I have in Kai all fucking season. And, and it's those little things. It's And you kind of alluded to it when, when Fofana came in. He did the same thing where he actually looked like a nine. Like They have a striker's instinct. They have the instinct of a goal scorer, of a guy that is primarily on the pitch just to get goals. That's it. Not create, not, you know, uh, link up play and drift out wide and play in a perfect floated cross. None of that bullshit. 
Just getting in there, pinning yourself up against the defender, rolling up your shirt sleeves, and getting us a fucking goal. So, I mean, I mean, that's just something I wanted to see a little bit more out of Kai. But, yeah, me and Sam were talking about it. And just that little moment out of Madueke looked 10 times a striker Kai's ever looked. All right, let, let, me, let me just throw this out there then. What do you guys think about trying Madueke at striker? It, it might happen. He's played in a, in a two-man system, at least, like, where he's with somebody else in a 4-4-2. It's, it's happened. I I don't think that's going to be the plan because of two things. Number one, it sounds like the club was never intending on keeping Fofana in January. The The plan was always to loan him. And now they've kind of been firm that he's staying. Obviously, he's staying for now. But we're not shipping him out to like Turkey or any of the other leagues that can sign him. I think now, out of necessity, it's like, okay, he's had he had glimpses against Man City. He's had glimpses against Fulham. It may need to come down to that. I also think we need to remember that Sterling has played that role before. For us, just this season with with Tuchel, and he did well. And then that same sort of thing that Zach talked about, where there was a lot of strength with back to goal, Sterling did that same thing in this match, where there was like two or three Fulham guys on him, and he somehow stayed on his feet, dribbled himself out of trouble, and started facing the other way. So I think that in the sort of pecking order of things, we'll see if, if Kai's not the nine. We still have Aubameyang in the roster until further notice. We'll come back to him. Then you got Fofana, and then you can think, okay, I'll play the small man's game, and you can have either Sterling or Felix, and then eventually you go to Madueke. I, I think him being the fresh blood, I, I don't know if we straight up throw him into the lion's den centrally. That's my two cents. There yeah, are other West options. Ham really the lion's den? Is West Ham the lion's den? I don't not know. Not West Ham, not West Ham, but again, I think... We got Madueke and Mudrik to be these 1v1 wide monsters. And if that's what we pitch them and suddenly now it's like, oh, hey, by the way, you're actually going to have to battle it out with fucking Kurt Zuma for 90 minutes instead. Like, I, I just, <laughs> Look, again, it's one of those things that I'm talking about. Like, you don't want to put another guy in a weak spot to, to benefit somebody else. And the only reason why I brought it up, I, I, I remembered incorrectly I thought he was one of the three people that was added to the Champions League roster, but it was actually Enzo, Mudrik, and Felix. Correct. So I was just thinking, like, internally, if we have no Aubameyang, our only striker is Kai Havertz, can we try him at striker for Champions League? But yeah. he's not, he's not going to be uh, on the squad. So The last thing before I move away from Kai Havertz that I want to just talk about, and this goes to, to just any player that gets put into a new position, as fans, and and it goes an extra step in, in in a negative way, as people that are watching from afar and, and even further, the people that love to play video games, right? You have your Kai Havertz. He's tall. Zach mentioned he's decently fast, has a good left foot, can pass the ball, can shoot. Why can't he play striker? It's just not who he is on the inside. I think that's it. And that goes to other players. There's players who can adapt. There's players who are willing to put in the hard work and, and change their, their sort of circuiting and, and how they think and, and really go out of their way to learn a new position. And there's guys that can't. Gareth Bale went from left back to left mid to center attacking mid to right wing. All of those things are totally different, but he put in the work for it. And I think, unfortunately for us, Kai is a is becoming a one-show, one-trick pony where he should be a cam. And that's just it sometimes. It, it could have happened to anyone. 
Um, there are. I, I don't want to go into all the the positives just yet. They just want to nitpick a little bit more because that's just what we do in podcasts. There were other players that just weren't up to speed in this one. I personally thought Ziyech had his worst outing after being arguably our best player the last three or four weeks. There's rumors out there that, you know, if, if the transfer situation wasn't the reason, his mom did pass away. So maybe that. Who's, I've said, whose mom passed away? Ziyech. Oh, his, oh, that was his mom. I saw him post yeah, about it yeah, on yeah. Instagram. Wow, okay. And that's definitely not easy by any means. So if maybe he knew her health was kind of dwindling, Absolutely. his head's not going to be there. I understand why he was chosen to start. Unfortunately, it wasn't a good one. But, Tom, is there anybody that kind of stood out to you that you just thought, like, maybe his name is on the on the chopping block for next week? It, this player, it it still annoys me to this day. Because I called that you can go back into the preseason podcasts where I shat on the Cucurella, Cucurella signing, 60-whatever million for a, a, a guy who's not even as good as our starting left back. At, at the time, like, I, I'm just going back to, at the time, that was not a position of need. We had so many more positions that we needed to get. We didn't even have Grand Potter at the time, so, that, like, the logic of like bringing him in because he played under Grand Potter, it didn't even exist at the time. Right. So uh, I never understood the reasoning behind it. Like maybe the idea was he could, uh, he played left like uh, on the left side of a back three um, under Potter, but that quickly showed like he quickly proved that that's not going to happen anymore. I don't know how Grand Potter was able to get that out of him last year, but that's not happening this year. And he, he just like again, like you've you've said this about Gallagher that he plays like a spaz. Kukurea plays like a spaz too. I, I mean, he, he's playing all over the place. It, it, it's pretty much make, he's pretty much making the left side impossible to play out of. Um. Again, when when I say Mudrik is uh, was invisible in that first half versus Ziyech, Ziyech is, is has the luxury of playing alongside Reese James, but Kukurea, he's not really doing it on either ends on, on in the attacking phase or on defense. So, uh, thank God Ben Chilwell is back from injury. I don't want to rush him back in. Like, take take your time. Again, this season is not that important anymore. So, <laughs> Kukurea can continue to play until he's a hundred percent. But God, that that is just going to turn out to be a really stupid, stupid buy, in my opinion. Yeah, not after after what was his best performance against Liverpool, where. Everyone was like, "Oh, maybe he's back. Maybe it was something on the off the pitch." Yeah, not his best. And and again, attribute that to what you may think, but it was it's just not good enough right now. Luckily, Chilwell's back, and maybe Lewis Hall. He's been doing fine at left back. 
Maybe we he's start been, seeing he's him there. He's been better. Again. He's been better than Kukurea at left back. Yeah, maybe we'll see him there again now that we have sort of a little bit potentially more structure in midfield. But now, Zach, how about you? I mean, I've I've backed Connor Gallagher to have a good season for us, and I still do. Yeah, we, um, we made a bet. We made a bet. Don't yeah. forget. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah, big time, baby. It's gonna it's gonna change my life when I win this bet. Um, right now, you're not winning it. <laughs> I don't think as any of ex- us are as, winning. As the, you'll the judge, explain right now. The judge yeah. agrees. Yeah, well, here we go. Um, I'm still not down on the kid. Let me just start it off with that. Um, I do think he's had a rough go of it so far, though. I mean, he did come in during a transitional season that quickly turned into shit by fucking damn near November. Um, and, you know, similarly to Kukurea and guys like Mount and Kai at points, he did have to play out of necessity. Um, when you would normally gradually introduce someone into a team, um, you know, with his level of experience and especially at his age. But um, going back to me not being down on him, I, I think there's qualities that he can actually offer the team. I think in many ways he could potentially be a really poor man's Enzo. And before you guys jump on me, just allow me to explain. <laughs> He's the only other midfielder we have outside of Enzo Fernandez that has actually shown a willingness to pass the ball forward. Um, and when he is in form, he actually does have a decent range of passing. He's the only other midfielder outside of Enzo that has a sh- that has a threat from a distance in terms of a long shot. Um, and then also outside of Enzo, and maybe you could throw in N'Golo Conte and Zakaria in here. Between those, uh, between all of our midfielders, he is probably the most energetic. I mean, if you want to take out a healthy N'Golo Conte and an Enzo Fernandez, you probably throw Gallagher in there. It's between Gallagher and Zakaria, in my opinion. Yeah, the intensity um, is there for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The intensity is there, and I think the willingness for him to learn is there, is there as well. I just think it makes it a lot harder for him when he has to come into a shit environment like this where he's surrounded by guys that are either out of form, not confident, or just flat out don't want to be at the club, but also a season where we're completely changing the way we play compared to how we were under Tuchel and how we are under Potter. Obviously, going from a defensive style um, where we soak up a lot of pressure um, to a style where all of a sudden we're looking to possess the ball more and maybe be a little bit more fluid and, and free-flowing with our attack. I think it does make it a little more difficult on a player. And, and, and for Gallagher especially, I think it would have been an easier... Um, it would have been a better season for him as a whole if he was already sort of acclimated to the squad and to the players and to his surroundings. But because he was technically one of our new players coming into the season, it just made things 10 times harder for him. Um, I still think it's too early to call Connor Gallagher's future at Chelsea. I'm not going to sit here and say that he's going to be a world beater for us in three or four years or whatever. Um, I just think it's too early. I think we need a, I, I think we need a season where we actually have some sort of cohesiveness as a squad, as a team uh, before we can make that call. So in my opinion, I'm glad we didn't sell him in January. I'm glad we turned down that transfer offer, even though it was for a pretty decent price a pretty fair price for both sides um, but i think after next season if the problem still persists and he really hasn't staked his claim or, or even solidified a role in the squad then we can consider maybe moving him on because he still is at a young enough age where we can keep him and still get maximum value for him in a year or two years but um overall it just it really hasn't been too inspiring for him yeah, we'll see. Come summer, Zach, you may be 20, 
dollars poorer and the club maybe 40 million dollars uh 40 million euros richer so we'll see i don't know what's gonna come from gallagher seems like a lot more learning and coaching is in his and in his path if he's gonna turn these things around but enough of the bad stuff it's time to talk about the good and we have to start with the new faces and before we get to the big man the big record signing we have to talk about noni madueke um, at newbie XYZ is saying, Is Madueke our most likely player in Chelsea history to ever wear a Gucci or Supreme headband? I mean, probably. I, I immediately said when he came on the pitch that he gave me St. Max fives. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly because his first couple of touches were unnecessary turns and dribbles. But from there, I think he grew into the game and, and he kind of gave us something that unfortunately Mudrik couldn't do in the first half, which was make his presence felt. I thought he found ways and, and his positioning was better to where if Kukure or Mount were not performing, he was in the right place to receive the ball and, and was immediately trying to do something. His dribbling was immediately something that I, I thought was good. And and you guys alluded already to his strength. Obviously, there's still a little bit of not knowing your teammates. There was a a specific moment where he went up for a header and he's thinking, oh, my striker is for sure going to run into the space. And, of course, Kai wasn't there. But Madueke, hope he gets a start. I thought he was a spark when we needed it most. I thought he was even better than Sterling when Sterling came on. So I thought that was extremely, extremely positive. But, Sam, you were mentioning him early. Is there anything that you want to add on on what you saw from Madueke? Well, to answer that question, um, I could see... Who could I see wearing a Gucci or Supreme headband? I could see uh Demba Ba rocking one. I think that he would he would uh Mishi Bachawai, actually. That's my oh, answer. Mishi Bachawai. The guy with no hair. <laughs> no hair, yeah. It's yeah, the, I, I thought the right answer the is obviously one. Aspie. Yes. <laughs> with, with a Gucci headband, I can see it. But um one thing I do want to add. Okay, this, explain this to me. This kid's got an injury history, a long injury history. He came to a club with, with a very suspect training staff. Did you did you see his shin pads? Yeah, they were like they, they were like toothpicks. The, no, they were like the little uh, what are those things in the bathroom in the urinals? That you piss on the little circles, <laughs> the cakes. They're called like yeah, urinal, the urinal cakes. cakes. Urinal cakes. That's what it looks like. It looked like he had urinal cakes. They were literally <laughs> circular, tiny ass. Like this, this, this dude is cooked. He's finished. If if he's gonna wear those shin guards with his injury history on Chelsea, it looked like too little. Two slices of salami, just one yeah. on the chin, and then that's about it. Like no, I, I can. I don't know. The injury history is a little bit worrying. I, you know, it does kind of make you scratch your head why we pursued somebody that has a history like this. But once we saw him play, I think it answered all the questions as to why we went after him. I love the idea of having a winger that's damn near six feet tall with pace and technical ability. I just think that it's going to be a tough match matchup for any fullback or center back to deal with if we can get him in a good run of form and i think you know the the cameo or 
was more than a cameo. I mean, he played a whole half, but from what we saw of him so far, it looks like he has all the tools to be a success in the Premier League. And in terms of being up for it, he didn't really raise any questions that he wasn't. If, if anything, he showed us that out of all the new signings, outside of maybe Badi Ashil and Enzo, he looked like one of the better ones that sort of hit the ground running here. So I'm excited. I'm excited for him. Now, it's time to talk about Enzo, boys. I mean, what? This is what I expected, honestly. The game may have been shit, but like when the ball came to Enzo or was anywhere near Enzo, I was like, you're worth your money. Not once did I think, oh shit, we overpaid for the guy. Whether it was being matched up against Mitrovic and acting like he's a seven foot tall man against one of the largest forwards in the league, or whether it was playing vertical passes over the defense into a perfectly in stride Mason Mount. I mean, this dude doesn't even speak English, and he was flanked by two very Anglo-Saxon midfielders in Gallagher and Mount. Like, there was no communication there, yet he was pulling it off somehow. I, I guess it's like when everything possible that could mean he has a shit debut could possibly happen with adding the fact that he only practiced for like half a practice. He does what he did today. Inches away from scoring a winner on top of all this. I cannot wait for this guy to play next to a Kovacic or a Conte or a Zakaria, which is still not perfect, but I just can't wait for this guy to play next to somebody that's a little bit more established in terms of their form this season, because my God, I was just over the moon. And, and Zach, I'll let you, I'll let you kind of get into the details of it all. He's already, my, he's already my favorite player. I, I, I knew this was coming uh, before he even stepped foot on the pitch that he was going to be quickly become my favorite because he has absolutely everything that a midfielder needs and everything that we need in our midfield the eye for a pass, the ability to play the ball forward, the willingness to play the ball forward. I'll actually rephrase that. Um, the big thing with when he plays the ball forward or when he even plays a pass in general is it's all one and two touch passing. He never lingers on the ball. He always knows what he's going to do with it before he receives it. The tough tackling, the ability to be an engine and never stop running for the full 90, the fact that he's a goal threat inside and outside of the box, the shithousery with Mitrovic and probably his first Premier League interaction ever, um, you know, where he wrestles down Mitro, um, you know, it, it just makes you foam at the mouth. And it really makes me wonder um, what he'll look like next to another world-class central midfield player. Now, I've been thinking about it a lot and trying to figure out what role I want to see Enzo in long-term. And I think, you know, granted, we only saw one match and I'm sure that, you know, we're going to see a lot more of his game and what he can offer us in, in the matches coming up. But from what I saw, he looks like your ideal number eight. He looks like somebody that you could put next to DM who is a hard tackler. That way you can make the defensive side of the games impenetrable. But then also you can rely on Enzo to make the shuttling runs forward, to have the energy to join the attack and also be that creative outlet too. So 
if only we had a Declan type of player that we could throw next to him and just kind of ride out the rest of the season and see what kind of partnership they could form. I think Zakaria is most likely going to be the obvious choice once he's healthy. Um, I, I'm, I'm just excited to see him continue playing with us, though, um, in any way. And, and I think the nice thing with him and his probably his best ability is his versatility, the fact that he could play all three positions. If we need him to play the six and be, you know, our hard man in the midfield, he can do that just like he was against Fulham. If we need him to be a box-to-box player, he can do that, as I just explained. If we need him to be an attacking uh, an attacking creator, just go look at where he played for Benfica um, for the first half of the season, and you'll see that he was mostly deployed as a 10. So I am um, I'm absolutely excited to see what he can do for us. And I, and I think $100 million or $120 million, whatever the fee was, it's money well spent already. I, I I don't need any more proof that it's going to be a good buy in the long run. Yeah. Uh, I I guess I wouldn't say I was skeptical of him. Um, after we bought him, I just thought I just didn't want to get burned. You know, like the price was was crazy to think about for what he's actually done in his career. And, you know, we've seen it. It's it's not like we're imagining that he could play at this level. We've seen it before. But he really did deliver on everything that was promised by, by both of you guys and by all other <laughs> Chelsea fans. Um, I, was, I was more than pleased with what I saw. I was really excited to see... Um, I mean, it's been a while since we've seen like a real, like defensive-minded midfielder who can also do everything else. I mean, it's 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 amazing to see. So, I'm excited. I'm really happy, and I'm excited. Yeah, I. The one last thing is that I hope that we don't see a midfield three with him at the deepest position again anytime soon. I think. It's counterintuitive to to have your creative hub be as close to your goalkeeper as as Enzo had to be today. I understand that you know Kova was hurt along with every other midfielder in our team, but yeah, it, it's just again you're hurting the team in a way. Later in the match, he was able to really be an eight, and that's when he got that shot late. So I'm just excited for someone like Kovar Zakaria to, to gain fitness so that we can truly see that. I think that double pivot or as an eight in a midfield three eventually is perfect. Zach mentioned what he would look like next to Declan Rice, and he is on record as of this week saying that he watched a lot of English football and that he really liked Declan Rice. Without being asked about him, he name-dropped Declan Rice. So Boli, Igbali, come summer, you know what to do, guys. Now, last thing, I know we talk about this crew, specifically our center backs a lot recently, but Russell Saunders brings up the point again, we didn't lose and that's another clean sheet. Our defense is finally fixed. And I mean, our center backs and Kepa have been on one this month. I don't know what we ever did to deserve this body of shield Tiago Silva partnership. But long may it rain. Kepa confident again. I think any other keeper could have struggled with that long range attempt from Mitro. 
Thank God Keppa did not and was as well aware of where he was at the time. I don't know if you guys want to add anything, but the fact that we went from getting scored on and every time I'm slowly feeling more confident that instead of losing one nil late, <laughs> at least we'll get one point in the affair. I don't know. I mean, it's not guaranteed either. We got to start scoring. It's like that's, that's great and all, Obviously. but we need to start well, scoring. Well, well, I said something earlier in the pod along the lines of, you know, I, I feel comfortable enough with our new signings that they could kind of carry us through the end of the season. So we could at least limp across the finishing line. And I think the reason why I feel confident in that is because of how well we've been defending. Um, it's been a it's been a staple of all of our successful teams in the past. So as long as we can keep defending well and giving our team a chance or giving our attack a chance to get us three points every single match, eventually things have to click. That's I mean that's that that's what logic tells you, but of course reality could tell you something completely different. Also, something to note is that. Um, Wesley Fafana is in uh, full first team training again as well. So if anything, our defense is just going to get even more padded and more stacked. So, yeah, I mean, our, our center back position is the one position that stayed generally healthy this season. Um, but again, to, to kind of put it into perspective, Mitrovic had one shot on target, one shot today, and that shot came from forty plus yards out. So the defense is doing bits. You love to see that. Um, now in some other news, I, I mentioned Obama Yang earlier today. He's been recently linked to a move to LAFC. I'm not an MLS expert, but apparently this can be done. But friend of the pod, Leonard Cohen, Sam, I, I always refer to you because you do the best Leonard Cohen voice, did ask yes. us about Obama Yang. Let me uh, clear my voice, get into my uh, Leonard Cohen state of mind <clears throat> dear pod it looks like another number nine has bitten the dust what went wrong for Aubameyang? was it the sacking of thomas tuchel or something else or the uh or that the is... sacking of thomas tuchel and something else ah well leonard thanks again for submitting this number one i think we need to burn the number nine jersey from ever existing I don't ever want to see anyone wear that kit again, ever, period. The last successful striker to, to be at Chelsea wore number 19, and before him it was 11, so get rid of this jersey forever. Aubameyang was going to be a dumpster fire in every possible situation that didn't include Thomas Tuchel. And here we are. I understand that... No reports have come out of him doing any shady stuff in the locker room or anything like that. I think the only reason why that hasn't happened is because he's a brand new guy. Therefore, he doesn't have the sort of stance in the locker room like he did at, at places like Arsenal. But I really think that Thomas Tuchel gets fired and Aubameyang's desire to succeed in the short term went with it. And, and I don't know if there's much more to that. Um, I'll let you guys pitch in if if you think of anything. Um, I don't really have anything to add on the Aubameyang front. Um, if anything, I hope he goes to LAFC because that would be the best case scenario for both of my favorite uh, footballing clubs. Um, 
LAFC needs a striker and Chelsea definitely doesn't need a bomb egg. So <laughs> I think that, you know, win-win for you. Yeah, it's a win-win for me, but uh, take that with a grain of salt because this is with full bias, obviously. Yeah, when we first bought him, this is definitely a scenario that we envisioned possibly happening. You know, I mean, it, I don't think anyone thought it was a surefire, like, improvement on striker and... Aubameyang would be our striker week in week out, so it's not it's not surprising, really. I, I mean, I think in the back of our mind, everyone thought that this is how it would end up. Um, it's a bummer we paid Barcelona like twelve million for him. Um, it was really like a like a desperation buy again, um, but yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, I'm not. I won't. I won't lose any sleep. I won't cry over this. That's fine. Getting rid of Aubameyang is totally fine with me. Yeah, it's a, you live and you learn sort of situation. It sucks because if the board really knew all along that Tuchel was in in deep shit, should have never even been wearing the the Chelsea jersey. So, alas. It is time to talk about this weekend, boys. We have another London Derby, this time against West Ham. And Ron, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Cool, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Supreme, a.k.a. the czar of the Bop Ultras. Bone Daddy asked, Deluxe, too. Don't and Bone, Bone Daddy, Daddy Deluxe. Deluxe. Can't forget Deluxe. I, am, I apologize, Ron. Is this the time for Potter to do the right thing and bench the players underperforming Zach? It's is it the right than, matchup to do it? I mean, it, it yeah. Um, Please. If we don't do it in this match, we're going to have to probably do it against a better team somewhere further down the line. I mean, it should have happened a long time ago. That's, that's the bottom line. I think if you put in a team um, that doesn't include Kai Havertz, um, the likes of a Mason Mount, you know, some would argue a Connor Gallagher, Kukurea, um, you know, so on and so forth. Can the results really get any worse than they have been? And I think most Chelsea fans would agree and say, probably not. So why not try something new? Why not try to shake it up a little bit? Give guys, um, give some of the new guys their opportunity and start actually creating that competition within the squad. I know if you look at the team on paper, there should be competition, but you know, there's some guys that are getting playing time and some guys that still haven't even seen the pitch. So time to start shaking it up, time to start making these players um, feel accountable and hold themselves accountable. And I think the only way to do that is to actually start taking a hard stance and benching the guys that aren't doing it. doesn't matter who it's against. So, so the match following this is, is the Dortmund Champions League matchup. And then the following match is Southampton, which is the one team or one of the teams that is worse, actually worse than West Ham this season. Um, so, so, so let me double down on my answer. Then we definitely need to do it against West Ham because we have to find some sort of form heading into Dortmund. That's, and, that's priority and, number one. And rest players going into Dortmund. I think it's, it, it serves both. Uh, mm. Trying to find answers from other players that don't necessarily get playtime. And, 
you know, if we find out that those players don't really work, hey, the players that we've been playing already this season, they We're get a week exhausted. off. <laughs> yeah, they get a week off. That's a, I think it's a win-win. And then the week after that, when we play Southampton, we give it another go. Play the bench, guys. Because I think Tottenham's after that. So, hmm. uh, it please, for the love of God, Grand Potter, if you have any semblance of a winning manager, a smart manager, you'll do it. Okay, you'll do it. I want to see no Dem- I want to see Madueke starting. I want to see Fofana starting. I mean, it, it, I think Joao Felix yep. is coming back from injury. Yep. I want to see well, him not starting. injury, red red card. I'm sorry, red card. right, right, red card. <laughs> I want to see him starting at the 10. I want to yeah. see Mikhailo Mudrik starting, even if he has a cold. I want to see those four up front. Give give me those four. Yeah, my luckily for us, at least one of the players we mentioned today has to get benched because Joe Felix 100% starts this match. So that's a good starting no. point. No, he can play the 10. That's what I'm saying. So it's either Mount or Kai. One of those guys oh, are both oh, playing. Oh, have to sit. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. They Okay. He can play the 10. Therefore, one of the guys we discussed today will get right. benched. So that's already a good thing. I, I just want Grand Potter to show us that he has the balls to, to sort of make that tough choice. Like, we can... Like you said, they're, they're sitting one point above relegation. Fuck it. Put in the kid, Fofana. And then when you, that... If that doesn't work, you have the, the experienced guys to come in in the second half. We get five subs. Fuck it. Just do it. I hope Kova's healthy because I, I cannot see the same midfield as last week. I just can't. And if Chilwell is good enough to give us a 45-minute cameo, start him because we can't score. So let's get our best fullbacks out there for at least a half to see if, you know, uh, our, our best 11 sort of players can get us a goal and then you take them all out. Because we know we can defend with Kukureya on the left and Chalaba on the right. We've seen it before. So I just want to see Potter just take some risks this game. This is the time to do it. This is your last chance to probably do it in a bit. Because, like you said, Tom, Dortmund's next week and Dortmund's beatable. So get some shit right this week, please. Grow a pair. Come on, Grand Potter. I know you got some balls. They gotta be in there somewhere. Yeah. Anything else you guys want to talk about in this West Ham match? Is there anything to really even point out about West Ham besides the fact that shit hit the fan for them far worse than it did for us this season? Well, we need to beat them because we need them to get relegated to drop the price of Declan Rice. That if if that does drop their his price at all. Right. Hmm. I would love to just be part of how they get relegated. I don't want to be the reason they, they're above the relegation zone for another exactly. week. Sean Deitch got the, the win for Everton. If they win again and we beat West Ham, boom, West Ham, relegation zone. I think, I think there's so many teams in the Premier League that are worse than West Ham, so I think they might be okay in terms of yeah. staying uh, in the Premier League. Uh, I, I, I can't envision them getting relegated, but they're there. 
Yeah, they are right there. I mean, that's undeniable. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. I, yeah, I was about to say, we have to put some predictions on the table. I'm going to go 1-0. We get a pen. <laughs> uh, great. Great. That's um, probably the most realistic. That's that's probably the most realistic prediction. But if Graham Potter starts that that front three plus draw Felix at Cam, um, that I mentioned, I think we can score two in open play, two nil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just don't want to copy you. And I'm just gonna be the crazy one. Maybe all of our missed shots from this season go in this weekend. Maybe. So we win 9-0? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, we'll still miss a lot. 3-0. Three, three I want yeah, a... It's outlandish. 3-0 win. Jao Felix takes shots. I am hoping for God's sake that we use Mudrik correctly this week. Because unfortunate for the kid, he just didn't get to do what he's best at. And then from there, I'm hoping for fireworks, baby. Just give me something to be excited about. Please, Chelsea, I beg. Please. Please. <laughs> Please, I'm begging you. <laughs> but with that, guys, I think that closes it out for another for another week of our, our podcast. If you haven't followed us already, follow us on Twitter at Blues on Parade. As you've seen, if you tweet at us, we most likely will give you a shout-out. We love hearing your, your opinions. We love getting your questions in. It's all about building the community. Let's beat the hams and keep the blue flag flying high.